Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Overview Effect with James Perrin. I'm your host. This is my podcast where I like to sit down with influential people, thinkers, environmentalists, business people, not-for-profit leaders, and I like to learn not just about what they've done um, and what they're doing, but to really get under the hood and understand what motivates them and, and get them into the space of big picture thinking. Because, you know, sometimes you just need a bigger perspective on life to get a sense of what's truly important. And that's what this podcast is all about. So thank you so much for joining me. I would like to start by acknowledging that this podcast is recorded on Bunjalung land in northern New South Wales. And I want to pay my respects and gratitude to members of the Bunjalung community. And in fact, members of all, all First Nations people all around the world, uh, in Australia and all around the world, sovereignty was never ceded. And I want to acknowledge and pay my respects. Okay, so here we are, episode eight. And man, it's been a crazy year. Here we are, early November. We all know it's been a crazy year. There's been absolute chaos this year. But, you know, one of the things I was thinking about the other day is that we've seen this massive trend of people choosing to essentially flee the cities to go to regional areas and largely to get more space and connect to nature and those regional communities. And we've also seen people turn to gardening in a big way, right? Connecting with where their food is coming from and this push towards localization. And that's whether you live in a regional area or a city. So it's really fitting today for me that my guest today is one of the gurus of permaculture. Quite often when we think about permaculture, or at least you know, for us, the uninitiated that haven't gone through a, a some sort of permaculture design course, and we don't, we only know it at face value. We kind of think of just really passionate gardeners, right? But permaculture is not that at all. It's not just a bunch of gardening tips. It's not even really an agricultural method. It's a design philosophy. It's a way of seeing the world and thinking about the way we interact with it in a really mindful, conscientious, and natural way. And as I think about broader society, that's what we're doing this year, right? We've had this year of pause, and many of us are reconsidering the way in which we want to live, the where and the how and the with who and the doing what. And that philosophy is really similar to the way that you start a permaculture garden, right? So, like I said, it's really fitting that my guest today is someone who embodies this mindful way of thinking about how interactions occur and how we interact with the world. He is one of the big names in the permaculture world. He is an educator. He's taught thousands of people around the world. He has worked on major projects all around the world. He's lived a hundred lives really. And some of those stories come out in this conversation. Uh, it did not surprise me at all in this conversation when he started telling me about how he had to produce 20,000 silver perch, for example. Um, so he's one of those guys that is just he's that kind of guy. He's a bit eccentric. He's super knowledgeable. He definitely thinks big picture. I think you're going to love this conversation. We talk about managing landscapes and permaculture, of course. We talk about the importance of diversity on a grand scale. We talk about natural systems and how we as humans have no idea what's truly going on as much as we like to think we do. Uh, we talk about the sense of wonder that four-year-olds have and how we can get that back through connecting with nature and so much more. It was a great conversation. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only 
educator, designer, philosopher, none other than Jeff Lawton. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. It's (laughs) going to be a pleasure, I'm sure. Yeah, well, look, thank you so much for inviting me to your farm. I was saying to you a little bit um, before we hit record that it's a little bit uh, novel for me to come here because I've I've watched a lot of your videos online and I notice some of the different... um, location so it's really cool to come here and see it in person so thanks for having me it's kind of deja vu it is a little bit you know my wife and i we um we we bought a block of land a half acre block of land and built a house and moved in about a year ago and we've over that time we've transformed it was a, a steep just lawn block and we've started to transform the garden using a lot of your videos where and so where like maybe a lot of couples or people sit at home on a Friday or Saturday night watching Netflix. We watch Jeff Lawton YouTube videos. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad I'm useful in some way. Um, <laughs> I often get uh, approached now when I'm out um, and um, often in the surf because I'm a surfer. Yeah. So surfers often give me a, a big high as I'm paddling past or just about jump in the water and say, I love your work, which is nice. Um, and um, – some, sometimes on the online course, students tell me that the, the kids keep playing my videos over and over and over like they do films and they walk around the house imitating my accent. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but it's just normal. Like people meet me and they say, you're just a normal person. And the farm's just like reality. It's quite normal, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but you get this credibility and celebrity status from media. Yeah, yeah. You don't drive in here and there's not a big production set. It's just a normal working farm, right? It's just normal. It's got some funky species around and some pretty sites, but it's pretty normal and anybody yeah. can do it. And that's how I like to teach it. Yeah, cool. Um, well, look, the the name of the show is uh, is called The Overview Effect, which is really taking inspiration from this experience that astronauts describe when they first go off into space and they look back on Earth and they have this dramatically altered perspective on the world and many of them come back to, to Earth and change. It changes the way that they view and interact with the world. And I wanted to start there. I ask all my guests that question. Have you had a, an experience or a period of time in your life where the way in which you've seen the world has been dramatically changed and it's changed the way that you interact with the world? Well, there hasn't been one single epiphany I can think of, but like a lot of things, there's been incremental moments that have anchored um, my way of thinking and and interacting with the world. And uh, the first one I can think of was working in the Amazon when I first started uh, teaching overseas. I was invited to uh, teach and and work on Amazonian projects in the Ecuadorian Amazon. And we're working with hunters and gatherers, which was kind of really trendy at the time to work with people who were only just contacted or even there were some uncontacted people. We're working with Warani Indians and the Tigeri were yet to be contacted and we hope they never get contacted since they've been contacted. But there was this uh, uh, whole group of hardcore uh, volunteers and environmental activists um, helping survey their, their native titles, which they've been given, which were massive and uh, very difficult to survey. And 
And uh, we came up, well, Bill Mollison came up with a system called Linderation, which was clearing a, a, a track around the perimeter of their um, um, massive lands they were given as as um, native title. And, uh, and um, in the Amazon, you can't fence, everything gets overgrown. So we were transplanting palms um, from the rainforest into the um, cleared strip around the outside and then the palms would be man- maintained for a while until they dominated the space and then it became obvious you had a what we call a linderation of palms which identified the the um the territory the the indigenous territory if you like these were massive parcels of land 2.2.1 billion hectares and wow. stuff like this and it was very very hostile work but um working with the local uh, well, not working with local people, but working with an international crew of really hardcore environmentalists who were out there on the really what was the front line at the times. So that was a, a reality shift. Um, mm. The other, um, later on, as I worked on through different zones and areas, I ended up in deserts. I ended up in, in um, European, extremely um, um, well-established alternative communities like Christiania in, in Copenhagen in Denmark. Eventually, I ended up going to emergency aid um, where you see people suffering and you're going to have nightmares about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not human if you don't. Yeah. And then eventually you get successful doing emergency aid. You get invited into a war zone. And I went from you know Guatemalan war zone into the Kosovo-Macedonia uh, conflict war zone and then eventually into iraq wow and um um i realized at that point i'd lost all my sentimentality of of um of of any particular landscape whether it's zaytuna farm here where we're talking or anywhere in the world i'd i'd it just been beaten out of me because um i'd i'd reached a level that the whole world i was sentimental about and not any particular part is more Mm. special than anywhere else it was just like every single nation of people every single landscape every single ecology um, they're all precious as one unit so that was kind of like a reverse beaten into your effect of looking from outer space yeah that's a that's a, a, a much more brutal way to get the same experience yeah yeah war zones you don't want to end up in a war zone because nobody leaves a war zone unchanged you either end up a little bit more cynical and cold or you or you're mentally disturbed and maybe permanently mentally disturbed and 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 maybe terminally and then the very last one was um later on uh design work after design work work after work um trying to um implement systems through so many climates and landscapes and and trying to simplify it for people so that anybody can just understand it not trying to sound clever and, and disempowering my students, but actually trying to make it sound easy to understand as much as possible, um, I suddenly realized that I'd been com- became comfortable with infinity. And it was like a stepping stone in consciousness that, um, of course, it's an infinite journey and, it, and we're never going to know it all. We're never going to understand it all. And I'm okay. And suddenly I was okay with that. And I realized I was looking at this like, like view that went into infinity and that was fine it was it was okay it just felt completely normal all of a sudden so um eternity infinity became mm. just a normality and i'd realized i'd been sort of challenged by it all of my life and all of a sudden from the work of permaculture application globally i'd suddenly got to this point where it was okay 
and it was nice. I mean, just saw like like a like a weight went off my shoulders, and it, yeah, that was wow. like an epiphany. It was like, yeah. okay, I'm cool with it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just normal. <laughs> just bringing you straight into the present. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, look to 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 move on to the topic of permaculture. I mean, you've been practicing it and teaching it for decades. You, you've got the farm here where you, you teach students, you go all over the world and you hold workshops. But I guess what's it like when you step out of that, when you go to you know, a major city or an industrial region or somewhere where you see something like factory farming or massive concrete car parks or single-use plastics or you know, any one of these kind of destructive elements of modern society, what does that make you feel how do you think when you when you see those things well i have to transit through the evil matrix all the time <laughs> I mean, you know, i've been up to 36 international flights a year and i'm on you know crazy transport systems eating crazy meals um i see things getting better and better and worse and worse all the time everything's polarized mm. so things are getting better they're definitely getting better but they're also getting worse yeah. at the same time they're not equalizing they're equally bad and equally good and you know you're getting a lot of realization. I mean, it, it originally, I, you know, I, I saw some horrific stuff with burning plastics, which is what I really worry about is like when you burn the plastic at low temperature, you get long chain molecules that stick in your lungs and become carcinogenic. I've lost my sentimentality for like what garbage looks like. I don't really care what it looks like. We shouldn't use it. If mm. we do enough, you know, we shouldn't produce all that single-use plastic. But if we just leave it lying around and do the right thing with ecology, it just goes under the soil sooner or later and becomes particulate matter. We've made it. You know, we, 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 we're responsible for it. And we're probably going to be part plastic like we are part DDT. Yeah. I, um, I think I read somewhere that we actually consume a credit card's worth of plastic every week. Already. It's already everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, when it comes to cities, industrial areas and all those sort of things, I've got an escape plan before I go in. Um, <laughs> I'm allergic to cities. Um, I've got about 10 days before I'm really wired and I'm pacing up and down and I, I know how I'm getting out. You know, yeah. I can't live in a city. I can't live in an industrial area. I have to go and visit them and I have to go and help in design. Uh, but I have, for myself, I have a certain amount of time when I function and then I've got to get out. Mm. Um, and luckily, you know, that's why I, I built Zaytuna Farm as like a lifeboat I could come back to, recover, recuperate and go back out again. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, um, I'm, I, I get the most incredible um, invitation to consult in the most diverse situation. So, you know, the largest space heater company in Europe uh, had me on an online consultancy last night. Wow. And, um, and they have uh, um, factories all across Germany and in China, and they tell me they're the largest space heater company in Europe. Um, they've got environmental standards. They're trying to come down to the 2030 carbon emissions st um, standards as quickly as possible. They want me to consult on factories. They want me to do. Um, um, they 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 want me to do forestry systems that um, give them the the um, offset of carbon. They want me to look at that. 
was it was an assessment consultancy. It was very quick. So my first, well, I need to know where you are. I need to know what climate analog you are. I need to know what latitude, length, what latitude, what altitude, what distance from an ocean. I need that climate analog. I need to get a view at least on Google Earth initially. If we go right into this, I'm going to go into GIS, geospatial, LIDAR mapping, all this beautiful stuff. We've got the fantastic mapping mm-hmm. we've got today. So it allows us to do more consultancy at a distance. Let's look, maybe we start off just with the headquarters. Okay, we'll start off with just the headquarters. Tell me about the headquarters. How many people work there? And the answer was 4,500 oh people gosh. work in the headquarters and they have to park their cars in the car park. Although they have a, two biogas digesters and they have a lot of renewable energy and they're trying to – and I'm like, oh, wow, here we go. Like, this is not a garden. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like – this is a big thing. And And – there's many permaculture is very diverse. Mm. Now it's extreme. That's what it's about: interconnected diversity. You know, beneficial interconnected diversity. It's more about the connections than the elements themselves. So here I am, cold call on the spot, looking at a, you know a you know a a, a, a Skype call mm. in front of executives in my farm gear. Um, you know, having having to come up to the mark, and I, I, I must admit. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I like that sort of stealth permaculture where I'm really just a farmer and, uh, you know, at one time an old hippie kind of thing. Uh, but um, yeah. I've got this experience that they need and I don't mind putting on a suit and looking the part and going into the boardroom and laying it down if I think I can make that make that difference. So that, yeah. that to me, is kind of exciting. Totally, totally. That What I kind of hear in that is that um, – you know, permaculture and the the permaculture design principles. They're not they're not just gardening tips, right? They're um, they're very much a, a philosophy, a way of viewing the world, and it can be applied to a, a block of land in a you know a rural region just as much as it can be applied in a boardroom and a an office space, right? So, um, yeah, I was before with COVID, I and the lockdown on on plane travel. I got myself and my family got caught in Saudi Arabia. So we were consulting on a 173 square kilometre block of land just outside Riyadh that was being designed as a um, um, a wildlife reserve, wow. and um, which involved uh, my designing of 23 kilometres of swells and 45 giant rock gabions. And although they only get 115 millimetres of rain a year and most of that comes in a couple of big rains, that's still 19 billion litres of water that hits that 173 square kilometres, and most of it has only one exit point. Wow. So, you know, scale is something that after a while you, you're not afraid of. It doesn't matter. You know, give me a country, give me a continent, I don't care. <laughs> you know, give me the planet, I'll design it. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, scale doesn't matter because it's all the same set of natural pattern sequences. Hmm. So how much then is is permaculture a a mentality? You know, it's it, it seems to me there's a there's there are so many parallels that can be drawn between I guess permaculture and someone applying the permaculture principles in their garden or their block of land to actually um a way that they view the world and it's almost a a, a philosophy of self-development and um mindset you know perspective 
It, it doesn't matter on scale. You can go into the microcosm of the soil itself with a microscope and you still see the same set of patterns and you still see the interconnected diversity. So, you know, you have to allow your systems to demonstrate their evolutions and educate you and, 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 and give you an education. So you can learn the design principles and, and the methods of design and uh, um, themes and, and, and strategies of design and the principles of design. But when you apply them, um, if you've got it right, the system diversifies, it, diversifies itself and starts to teach you what the system connectivity is all about. If you get it wrong as you apply principles, it simplifies itself. Mm. It, it rejects the design, really. So if you allow your systems to demonstrate their evolutions, the systems themselves guide you. Um, and nature itself is, and life systems in nature are so complex that uh, we have to be guided, really. We can't guide them. We mm. really don't know what's going on, only that things are getting better. So in living systems, if things are getting better, your soil is getting more fertile and and there's more soil creation going on and diversity is increasing. Mm. Here we've gone from 53 species of bird uh, 19 years ago um, to 115. Wow. Um, I don't think we had any frogs that I know of because we had no dams. Now we have 25 dams and we have 15 varieties of frog. <laughs> Uh, we may have had some by the creek, but I didn't know about them. Sure. And and that happens in deserts. So it's even more – deserts are great for showing this because they're a little bit more obvious. Yeah. You create a paradise in a desert, everyone goes, <laughs> oh, wow. So our, our project in Green in the Desert in Jordan, the lowest place on earth, um, I've been continuously shocked. Um, frogs and toads turned up in our nursery – which is kind of weird because although the nursery is damp because we're watering the plants, there's no way they can hop in there across the desert. You'd wow. Think. And then a hedgehog turns up <laughs> and the hedgehog's partner turns up and they have baby hedgehogs. And it's only 3,000 square metres surrounded by desert. So it's actually a desert hedgehog. It's actually the same as a European hedgehog, slightly bigger ears to dissipate heat, but still weird that it turns up. And then a tortoise turns up. What? A little tortoise, right? And, and lays eggs and baby tortoises arrive in, and, and then to cap it off. I mean, obviously lots of birds fly in that kind of, they've got an easy entry point flying, but, and then Middle Eastern chameleons turned in, turned up. There's a family of chameleons living in the trees, you know, with the eyes that turn in different yeah, ways yeah. and funny feet. Yeah. Um, this, some of these things are quite rare, but there's this tiny little project that obviously magnetizes wildlife. Um, and and it, it's kind of like it makes you wonder, you know, you become wondrous, like a four year old, you know, up until you're four, four, everything's wow, yeah. And and we we go back into that in nature at times. We go for a walk in the, in 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 a rainforest, and we kind of become a four year old for a while. Every now and again, we go, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, you know, th th there's a wondrous thing. Nature provides it if we do the right thing. All these like wonderful things start to. Totally. <laughs> you, know, you you remind me of a moment when I was watering my garden. This was this would have been a couple of years ago. I was standing there watering my garden. My son was standing near me, and he would have been four. And I was thinking about something to do with work. Like I was probably thinking about an email or some issue going on with work and just mindlessly watering. And my son there is is staring captivated at the garden. 
and I didn't really recognize what he was doing. And then he just turned to me and said, Dad, why does that butterfly dust dusty stuff on that plant? And in that moment, he just completely snapped me out of my mentality of work and corporate and lifestyle into that sense of wonder and awe with nature with such a simple observation and 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 comment. So yeah, I totally I'm totally with you there on how nature, even the smallest thing, can just give you that moment of wonder. Now four year olds are the only ones that ask good questions. <laughs> like they, they say, why does my why does my big toe stop growing? Why doesn't it keep growing? We, we don't really know, you know. Yeah. Why have I got five toes and five fingers? Why haven't I got six? You know, yeah. those are good questions. You know? We yeah. don't really know. <laughs> Why is the sky blue? You know, we, yeah. Those yeah. are four-year-old questions, which are great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe I should get him as to host the show every now and then. <laughs> um, I just want to. I want to touch back to something that you touched on before, which was diversity, and you said something really profound, which is that if you get it right the system becomes more diverse and, and, and the importance of diversity. And I think that that's another parallel that we can draw to, well, for me, I think about diversity in, in call it gardening or managing landscape. And there's a parallel that we can draw to life and society as a whole. You think about diversity and it, it shifts us into the way that our, our education and career system operates is go to school, go to uni, study a subject, get a job in that career, and that's what you do for the rest of your life. You kind of specialize in that one topic, and we put people into those sort of silos. Whereas there's, I think when we do that, us as a, as a community, we're becoming disconnected from all the other things that are happening in the world, and we're not seeing the bigger picture. I think there's a, a parallel to draw there, and it, and it reminds me of a – have you ever heard the story of the – the three blind men and the elephant. There's three blind men that go up to an elephant and they're told to describe the elephant. One grabs the tail and says an elephant is like a rope. One grabs the leg and says an elephant is like a tree trunk. And the third grabs the ear and says an elephant is like a banana leaf, right? And they're all right. You know, they're all describing the element and the elephant and, and elements of truth, but they're not, I guess, seeing the bigger picture. And the analogy is that we're not doing the analogies that we're like that in our current society and world. And I think what you say around diversity really, really, I draw a parallel there to go, well, we as, as people, as individuals need to step back and see the bigger picture of diversity and the interconnectedness of everything. And I think permaculture is a really great way of doing that on a, on a, on, on one level and being a, a way for people to access that in their broader sense of the way that they view the world. Yeah. I mean, our careers really are only are the way we provide our needs. That's why we have a career. That's why we have a profession. And, and um, the base pr- professions are primary production, production from natural systems, primary production. And then it's the processing of primary production. We process it into something else um, and add value often. And then we have the services where we service each other with certain skills and trades and professions. And then we have the arts. And, and then maybe if you want to go in, we have legal systems and, 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 and religious system, belief systems. But, you know, there, there's, there's really only about five main jobs. And um, to do one job for your whole life 
is really boring. <laughs> so, you know, you are much healthier and happier when you have five concurrent careers. So majorly you do one job, mm. but then you might part-time do three other jobs that you only do now and again, but you do for some period of time. And then you might have one other or even two other very minor jobs you do very occasionally, but they're still part of your career. Mm. So, you know, um, if you say, if you're a fish farmer, uh, fish are, uh, you know, you, you harvest a lot of fish and you can't use them all in the local community because they go off quick. If you know fish, you get them out. Um, they're not something that keeps well without refrigeration. So uh, it's difficult. So you, you might need people to be a part-time fish farmer to help you harvest at that time because they all come, you know, full weight at once. And then you sell some. But then you, you can't sell them all. So maybe then you smoke some so then other people might come and say well we we've skilled in growing the the wood that smokes the fish and we know how to smoke fish so we'll work with it. so they're part-time there and smoke smoking fish but you still it preserves it for a bit longer but not indefinitely and then you might say well, well we need still got too much fish for the local community and they're all coming to size at once so now we need to sort of say well we can process it into smoked fish pate now we need some jars that are airtight and we probably need some ladies in kitchens who know how to make smoked fish pate and stick it in the jars and put a little label on it that identify it as part of your local community's identity. Here in, in the Shannon, it would be, you know, our local bass probably, you know, that we would smoke on Banksia cones. Banksia and Tegrafolia <laughs> is a beautiful smoke element, etc. And 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 these are all minor skills from the fish farmer. Mm. Right, and you've got a beautiful smoked fish pate that now ke- keeps for the whole year at least until the next fish harvest. So they're all minor livings, minor livings to 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 major livings, and everything in between. Mm. Catching fish, growing fish, growing them on well, getting them to size. Fish farmer, netting fish, getting them out, harvesting minor minor uh, profession. Then and smoking fish, another skill bit more refined, and then smoke fish pate, bottling up, kitchen skill, craft, uh, local community identity. But there are people who sit in a factory all day stuffing smoke fish pate into little bottles as it goes past on a conveyor belt, which is not a life. That's not a life. So if you have a profession like that, listeners, <laughs> think about this, right? Can you remember much of the last year? or the last two years, or the last three years, if your life is dead set boring, it's really scary because you have no memories of quality. Most of your memory of boring work right, is very, very fuzzy, black and white, out of focus, and, and you really can't memory recall it. When you're doing something exciting, when you're doing something memorable, when you're doing something meaningful, also, when something's scary as well, actually, yeah. it's the emotions. Your memory is technicolor, slow motion, high def. Mm. So you don't own what's the future because it hasn't happened yet. This is the now. You're listening to this now. This is real, right? But you do own what has happened. But if you can't remember most of it, your life density and your life, life quality yeah. is very low. So, you know, and, and that's scary. If you think about that, if someone like 
tells you this, like I'm saying here, you need to think about it. Maybe you should step out of what you're doing and do something a little bit more meaningful, <laughs> more memorable, and a little bit more exciting. And even if it is occasionally making you know, smoked fish pate or, or, or smoking fish or catching fish. And that's many, many identities through that. And that's how we re-identify ourselves to landscape. Yeah. We, the people of the land, the land of the people. You know, we need to get our fingerprint back. We need to get our personality back to our landscape. And it's a different landscape than it used to be. We have 800 times more species that we can involve mm. than we ever had a few years ago. And there's more to come. There's thousands more to come. We can increase our diversity hundreds of times. It's been mm. restricted. We can open it right up. And some of my friends are involved in that worldwide. Yeah. And then I guess with the with the increased diversity, you're more resilient. Like to go back to your your example of the fish farmer, if you only grow and sell fresh fish and then for whatever reason there's a, a poor harvest or Fish de- fresh fish demand drops because there's a I don't know a pandemic. Uh, you're you're not resilient, but if you've got multiple products and multiple things you can do, you become more resilient, right? And that's an analogy in more ways than one. Not just economically resilient. If you go and do things that excite you and interest you, you're more mentally and emotionally resilient as well, right? Hmm. So there's a there's a, a, a broad analogy there. Yeah, yeah. I have I have produced twenty thousand silver perch at a time, and they had to be sold live. So regulations about live, the only way I could sell them was live to Chinese restaurants and they had to be going in a fish purging tank for six days um, before they could be legally picked up with a, with a tanker of water. Um, and, yeah, it's the, the power goes off, you lost them. If you harvest them the wrong way, you've lost them. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of vulnerabilities. But if you're working local, we all know, we all understand, we're, we're all involved and we have a local product that's wonderful. Mm. Jeff? Can you quickly touch on what's the Permaculture Research Institute? What is it and what does it do here locally and globally? What's its role? Well, it has given out information about permaculture mainly through um, multimedia websites and Facebooks and Instagrams today and Mm. all those other systems that keep increasing. So its um, mission statement was to... um, educate and demonstrate and share information about permaculture worldwide. Um, And um, it partners with other NGOs, non-government organisations worldwide, and uh, supports um, the setup of of, uh, projects worldwide. But it's all been very difficult, and the regulations are, are more and more restrictive all the time. And the world has opened up in many, many different ways, so it, it itself is um, demonstrating its own evolutions, like the living systems. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily uh, need to continue as a uh, not-for-profit aid organization. Um, it, it can change at any moment. And the world is changing at this time. So it, it's, it's not necessarily um, something that's stuck within those functions. Um, because we're, we're just so connected now with the internet mm. and um, um, our ability to uh, communicate in live time, high def um, and high quality audio like this and everything else has really changed things. So we, we have to be stuck. We don't get stuck in the stigma of only doing it one way. Yeah. When I first started doing aid work in, in South America, 
Um, we were really, we were really excited about facts, which you know, no one said to facts <laughs> now. But we thought it was really high tech, you know. And, and you know, and now it's lifetime video. You know, people yeah. um, get in touch with me on my phone um, anytime, anywhere, and say, "Jeff, is he, are these legume trees planted close enough? Uh, what's up with this fruit tree? You know, do these chickens look all right, or whatever? Are these solar panels facing the right way, etc.?" Yeah. From anywhere in the world. Yeah. So um, we're morphing into uh, other realities yeah. as we speak. And it's getting quicker. It's moving faster. Our mapping is, I'm really excited about the new mapping systems. Yeah. You know, what used to cost tens of thousands of dollars now is free. Wow. Wow. So really it was about education and um, an impact and there's more ways than one to do that. Yeah. yeah. Originally websites, I was lucky to get into websites early. Mm. And I was lucky to get into filming early, like flash videos initially, which were really seedy yeah, yeah. now. But then I, <laughs> I, I kept up the speed with um, making YouTubes and 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 high quality videos and presenting really well. And 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 then more recently, online education. Yeah, our online education is between twenty and fifty times more extensive in material than any face-to-face course. Wow. Uh, At least. Yeah. And the the results are obvious in the students. I've always gone out of my way to produce active students, and the most active students I produce now are definitely the online because the information is um, endlessly replayable. You can't replay lifetime. Yep. Um, It's in very high quality. We have backup high-def footage. 4k we have hundreds of animations to make it simplified and we have massive amounts of information connections in the online courses so our um our uh, jeff lawton online courses um i think are the cutting edge today and i've always tried to sort of try and lead the pack on how we get information out there Mm. um um and i i share that with people it is it is probably one of the most difficult and technological um achievements i've ever i've ever been involved in it's a very large team um Mm. that puts it all together and i'm very very proud of that because it really has changed a lot of people enormously and and a lot of my team have come out of my online students yeah wow i would never have got them in face to face Uh, in in one online course i teach um 10 years worth of face-to-face students in volume so yeah. I'm I'm 60 years in front in student numbers through online, and they're better students. That's all I can say. And and I know from the design exercises um, that I set at the end of a course, wow, ah, wow, the the quality that people uh, are producing better than I can do. <laughs> that was my intention: produce students who are a better designer than me, better teacher than me, and better institute establishers than I am. You know, so like I'm always wanting to. Um, work very hard for redundancy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put yourself out of business. Yeah. Beautiful. Aid, aid should make itself redundant. Aid should be redundant yeah. now. It could be. Aid could be redundant. It's self-perpetuating itself. And aid is almost uh, uh, a reason for aid. <laughs> aid is one of the reasons you need aid, in my opinion. Mm. Where permaculture aid intends to be redundant as quickly as possible. <laughs> Jeff, um if we can if we can land this with one one or, or, or two take home points for the listener what 
What are a couple of things that people can do on an individual level to connect more deeply with permaculture, but in a broader sense, connect more deeply with, with nature and this, you know, perspective of interacting with the world in a more meaningful way? Well, the education component is is definitely part of it. So yeah. look look up permaculture online. Mm-hmm. Um, join join our you know Jeff Lawton online um, uh, permaculture um, uh, education programs. Like you don't have to you don't have to pay. There's free education there. There's free information there. There's lots of it. You just give us your email, and you're continuously given all the new. Um, uh, videos that come out and all the new information that comes out. So if you trust us, then we've got it there for you. But there are many, many out there. I mean, there's so much out there online today. Uh, start that education process. Get interested. Um, when you get on the ground, um, probably if you don't do anything else, catch your own roof order um, yeah. and uh, learn how you can purify that because uh, you've got to start cleaning yourself up um, so you can function. Because if you don't know what you eat, you know, like you are what you eat is an old hippie yes. saying. But if you don't know what it is you're eating or how it's produced, you don't know who you are. So you've got to know who you are before you start to really function. And and lots of things can be hidden in water. And a lot of people don't realize outside of Australia, of course, Australia is the biggest. Uh, the, Australians have the largest understanding of roof water. So, you know, try and catch your own rainwater and learn how you keep it clean and, and, and drink clean water. And then start to uh, produce some of your own food, even if it's only small, even on a balcony. There's lots of information out there about small systems. And, and start to understand how you keep the soil fertile with, you know, mulches and cover crops and, and, and compost and, and, and little things like worm farms. You don't have to be really expert at it. I don't think any of us have to be perfect farmers or perfect gardeners. The, the, the real skill is being able to do it in a casual way. Mm. And we don't really achieve it easily without being perfect. Don't get precious about it all. Just see the result. By by a small amount of gardening, you can really see a very um, genuine um, understanding of how much energy goes in to how much energy comes out. And it's food value energy. So this is the 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 most... This, this, this gives you the, the highest level of vitality is the food that's grown really clean where you live with zero food miles and zero food time, totally fresh and absolute zero food guilt because you're responsible for the action that grew it yes. right, and get involved with it. And that has a very special quality. So as more of us start to do that, we can disempower the destructive systems of what we presently are provided for with supermarkets and other crazy things. It's the same with energy. If you can start to cut down your energy consumption, um, you'll disempower the nuclear power stations. They'll keep giving us nuclear power if we keep using it. Yeah. They'll keep giving us this terrible food if we keep buying it. Uh, we, we the consumers, have to stop consuming this stuff, and, and, and we need to be proud of that. And we can do it. We can cut down our transport. We can cut down our energy. We can cut down our need for food. And, and dare I say it, that means you can cut down your need for earning so much money. <laughs> so when it comes yes. to making a living, making a living doesn't have to involve making money. I know a lot of – I have wealthy clients who are not rich. They've got a lot of money. They're not rich. I wouldn't call them wealthy in life. They're living 
quality is not what I know a lot yeah. of a lot of people who don't have a lot of money who are really wealthy. And yes. So you know we need to reevaluate wealth. You know, yes. like an abundance of clean air, an abundance of clean water, an abundance of clean food. You know, um, sensible housing, warmth, friendship, and community, all in abundance. That's wealth. That's wealth, and that actually moderates population. We stop overpopulating at that point. I think it was Bob Marley that said, "I know some people that are so poor, all they have is money." Yeah, that'd be right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful spot to land it, Jeff. Thank you again so much for sharing your your thoughts and wisdom, and for having me at your beautiful farm. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. (laughs) Thanks, babe. Is that all right? Is that all right? It's all right for me. I'm just.